Good morning. If this is your first Sunday here, welcome. My name is Lindsay Slocum, and I get to tell you I am the new lead pastor at Kairos Church. It's still like my favorite sentence ever. <laughs> thanks, thanks. If it's not your first Sunday here, if you were here last week, thanks for coming back. That's I appreciate that. I'm glad you're here. It has been an amazing couple of weeks. I have so enjoyed getting to know you. We've been going to lunch and coffee. We have some dinners scheduled. If we have not had lunch or coffee or dinner yet, please, please, please call me, email me, text me. Let's figure out a time to get together. I really want to make sure we have time to get to know each other and continue to, to grow our relationship. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at what does it look like to enter a new chapter since we are beginning this new chapter together. We're going to look at different times in scriptures when the, the people of God are entering into a new chapter. What does that look like when the people of God enter a new chapter and what is, what's God saying to us as people who are doing that together? Last week we looked at what it looks like to know God as we enter into that new chapter. Today we're going to talk about what does it mean to do that as community. We're going to look at the Gospel of John this morning, but before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so grateful for this day, for this time to be together, Lord, to gather together at your feet. And so God, we pray now that as we turn to your word, that, that the word that we read is your word. The word that is spoken is your word. The word that is heard is your word. And may this encounter with you be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to read, we're going to start reading in the 13th chapter of the book of John. And just so you know, this is often uh, kind of noted to be the beginning of the second half of John. Sometimes this part of the book of John is called the book of glory. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 13. We'll start reading at verse 31 and read through verse 35. I would invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify, himself, glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer you will look for me, and as I said to the Jews who now I, I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, please tell me that you follow The Layton Show on Instagram. This man is hysterical, and he does this thing sometimes where he does these texts from teens. If you're not following, you need to. He's, he's, he shares these texts that various teenagers have either texted him or now the people that follow him have submitted. They're generally these just graduated from high school, launching out into the real world, trying to survive kind of a text. They cover important things like, when does my social security number expire? Or, where do I buy pasta water? But my favorite one is, <laughs> sorry, which washer hole do I put the laundry juice in? 
These texts explain why parents, guardians, grandparents, teachers, coaches, anyone who has any responsibility for sending someone off into the world themselves desperately spends those last few moments saying, here are the important things I need to make sure you remember. We call it laundry detergent. All of the important things that you need to know before you launch off into the world. Matter of fact, I was digging through my boxes of books and found the book that my parents gave me. When you're on your own, 10 things every young woman needs to know as she faces the adult world. You can borrow it if you need to to share that with anyone launching off into the real world. Those last moments before someone goes off on their own without you there to guide them, there's, we just need to make sure they have the important information, right? That they remember what's what and what's the priority and what they need to know. And that's what's happening here in chapter 13 in the book of John. This is what Jesus is doing here with his followers, with his disciples. He's making sure that they know this is the important thing I need you to remember. Like I said, this begins the second half of the book of John, and this section that we read from sometimes is called the farewell discourse, because here Jesus has gathered his disciples and he's preparing them for the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. He's like, these are the things that are about to happen, and I need you to be prepared He's going to spend several chapters giving them instructions, reminding them of what's important. He's going to spend a whole chapter praying for them and with them and over them, making sure that they know what to do once he's no longer physically with them. And the main thing he tells them is, this is the new commandment that I'm giving you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Now, what's really interesting about the Gospel of John compared to the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is he changes the timing of this a little bit. Here, we are entering into what we commonly call the Passion Week, right? We're we're getting close to the cross in this passage. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have Jesus gathering with his disciples because it's Passover. They're gathering together to celebrate the festival of Passover. But John does it a little differently. John tells us, In the first verse of chapter 13, he tells us, Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Notice that he says it's before the festival of Passover, that it hasn't started yet. As a side note, I'll tell you the reason why John does that is because he wants, he's going to have Jesus die as the sacrificial lamb, as Passover. We can do another sermon on that another day. But it begs the question for us today, though, then why is Jesus gathering together with his disciples? If it's not gathering together for Passover, then what is the importance of gathering these people together? And so we see then that he wants to make sure they understand how important it is to love one another. That as they begin this new chapter that they would remember that their their community is not defined by a certain theology or a political stance or a worship style, but that they are being called into a community that loves one another. The way that Jesus has been modeling the sacrificial love all along. And Jesus even embodies that. We see as this passage even begins that Jesus takes off his garment and he wraps it around his waist and then he kneels down to wash the feet of his friends. 
a generous act of sacrificial love for this community. What could be a more intimate, beautiful, deeply moving picture of love than bending down and washing the feet of his beloved community? That night, Jesus is clear. He has gathered them together to make sure they understand how important it is that they would love one another and love one another in this big way that Jesus has been modeling for them. And here, then, against this backdrop of, of what Jesus has been doing, this both fascinating and disturbing thing happens. After the foot washing, after Jesus has set aside this warm and loving and beautiful scene, Jesus acknowledges with everyone there that Judas will betray him. He feeds Judas, and he sends him on his way to do his bidding. We see him then launched into this commandment about how important it is to love one another. But then, immediately following that description of the new commandment, he turns to Peter and he says, you will deny me three times. Against this backdrop of the overwhelming steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases, this call to love is bookended by betrayals of those closest to Jesus. And what's notable then is that Jesus stays at the table. He stays. And he's going to spend all of these chapters teaching them and loving them and praying for them. Two among them who will betray Jesus, and yet Jesus stays. I once knew a woman who was incredibly active in the church. She volunteered for everything. She was at the church multiple times a week. She was in Bible studies and Sunday school and mission groups, and if anything needed to be decorated, she was the one to be there doing it. At some point, she meets a man in the church, and they fall in love, and they get married, and just almost immediately after that, she calls me to let me know she's leaving the church. I took her to lunch, and I begged her to help me understand what is happening here. Well, it turns out that in the midst of some of these church events, there had been some moments of conflict, and the conflict had created hurt. I can still remember when she said to me, Lindsay, we have to go somewhere else. We have to go somewhere where we can start over and no one will know us. Ah, uh, I cried, don't you see? No one will know you. But I know you. We know you. We prayed with you when your family member was diagnosed with cancer. We stood with you and celebrated with you when you fell in love and got married. We do know you. We know who you are. We know your story. We've lived it with you. We know you. Your hurt is real, and this community definitely disappointed you. But please, give us a chance to apologize. Give us a chance to work through this. We know you. But she hugged me and said she was sorry, and she left. Y'all, I get it. Sometimes in community, staying is the hardest part. And yet, when we read this passage today, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus stayed. 
And surely Jesus wanted to get up and walk away. Judas is left to go set up this whole shenanigans, and Peter is stubbornly arguing that he's not going to betray Jesus, but Jesus knows he's going to deny him. Surely Jesus wanted to leave, but he stayed. Now, I want to be really clear about this staying. I want to be really clear about what the scripture says here. Because if you or someone you love is in a place where you are in danger or it is a truly toxic situation, Jesus isn't asking you to stay there. I mean, Jesus still sent Judas out of the room. But what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that we don't get to leave just because the community has disappointed us. We have to be honest. Without fail, a group of humans is going to let us down at some point. Even when that group is a church, we're going to find ourselves in a time and a place where someone has disappointed us. And in that time and in that place, we've got to acknowledge the staying is the hardest part. But, but, The promise, the gift, the glory of this new commandment that Jesus has given us is Jesus reminds us that there is something bigger at work than our own ability to simply get along with one another. That authentic community is bigger than what we are even capable of. Judas, Judas didn't create real community, and Peter didn't create real community. Jesus was very clear in the commandment that you will love one another as I have loved you. And it is through the love of God, then, that we are able to know something that is holy and steadfast. There is a Lutheran pastor named Nadia Boltzweber, and if you haven't read any of her stuff, I would highly commend it to you. She is a little bit edgy, so you just prepare yourself. <laughs> but she talks about when people come to her church and they say, I've been disappointed with this community. And what she says is so beautiful She says, this community will disappoint them. It's a matter of when, not if. We will let them down or I'll say something stupid and hurt their feelings. I then invite them on this side of their inevitable disappointment to decide if they'll stick around after it happens. If they choose to leave when we don't meet their expectations, they won't get to see how the grace of God can come in and fill the holes left by our community's failure. And that is just too beautiful and too real to miss. When we are bold enough and vulnerable enough and humble enough to let God be at at work in the midst of our human failures in community, That's when we can lean into loving others the way Jesus modeled for us. Then we can extend community to those who don't look like us or think like us or vote like us or who have the same understanding of politics or racial justice or sexual orientation. That's when we can leave room for the grace of God to seep in and take over. That is where beautiful community is formed. That is where we figure out how to love one another and cherish one another the way that Jesus so graciously modeled for us. Several years ago, I was invited to be in a clergy group. The idea was that we would gather together every month for three or four hours that we would study together and pray together and encourage one another. 
I was promised that this is going to be a place to experience pastoral community, a safe place to share and grow and probably be like lovely, perfect pastors together. But the good news is it was going to culminate in a trip to the Holy Land. However, it turns out that it didn't, it wasn't a beautiful, perfect place at all. Within the first few meetings, I immediately didn't like being there. The good news is our group was very diverse, Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, AME, Baptist, men, women, married, single, engaged, small children, grown children, want kids, don't want kids, black, white, Latino. And I loved the diversity, but I had a really hard time connecting to the group. Our leader would bring up these big topics for us to struggle with. Not easy things like, is it a sin for a pastor to cuss, but like really hard stuff. <laughs> we talked about gun control and racial reconciliation and immigration. It was hard. And other people would make their points and they would share about their experiences. And the whole time I could just feel myself resorting to being defensive and, not, and as they shared about their context, I would become self-righteous about my own. My response was not to appreciate the new perspective, but to protect my own perspective. To close myself in, to do my best just to endure the time that we were together. If I closed myself off, no one could hurt my feelings with their own perspective. I'm going to be really honest with you and tell you there was more than once that I wanted to leave that group. And it was the promise of the free trip to the Holy Land that kept me there. <laughs> there were times I was angry, times I was embarrassed, times that I would leave the meetings in tears. It was hard, and I didn't trust the group to say anything real. And so that group gathered together to travel one bajillion miles to Israel-Palestine. And early in the trip, one night, a couple of our members said they were going for a walk, maybe stop for a drink, everyone's invited. And I have no idea why, but I said, I'll go. So we strolled down a nearby street, and there was a lovely outdoor restaurant, the World Cup game is on TV, and so we stopped to hang out. And somehow, while we're sitting there chatting, the, the topic of our group comes up, and, and we start talking about what a wonderful group we are, and how much we love each other, and how glad we are to be together. And I was done. Finally, I looked up, and I said, y'all, I have to tell you, I find it really hard to be a part of this group. I find it hard to share here. I'm not really good at talking about this stuff, and, and I actually don't think we're all that open with one another. The guy sitting next to me looked at me, and I waited for his response. Probably he was going to be so mad that I said that. Probably he would remind me that I am the awkward one, and my awkwardness is what ruins the group. Probably he would wag his finger in my face and say something condescending and insulting, because that's just the kind of thing people who are different than me would do. And so I waited. I waited for his judgment, and I waited to hear what he had to say, because I had told him this community had let me down. But he looked at me, and he said, yeah, I get that. 
I get that. And at that moment then, the sky and me, we weren't defined by being different. For that moment, we were, I get that. And I realized that the others around the table were nodding, and so I decided to be a little more vulnerable. And I added I'd, I'd been struggling, actually, the, the whole time. That being authentic in this group had been really hard for me. And as we sat there, they didn't get mad at me. They weren't condescending. They didn't wag their finger in my face. But they nodded and they affirmed, and they were kind and gracious. And at the end of the conversation, the yes, I get that guy said to me, Lindsay, I'm glad you shared that. Because even though that hasn't been my experience, you are an important part of our group. And for the first time, it felt like our group. We hadn't become the same at that table. We weren't magically agreeing on anything anymore. But in that space, God had done a new thing. In that space, it was no longer about me and my ability to create a community, but there, God had been at work, and the grace and love of God had begun to creep in through the holes of my own disillusionment. We returned to the States a different group than who we were when we left. And I'll tell you, the conversations are still hard. We still get together, and we still don't agree on almost anything, theologically, politically, ideologically. But we love and care for one another in a way that is wholly and wholly different. And I will tell you, I don't think there is any group in my entire life that has had the kind of impact on me that that group has had. So this is what I think it means for us, your Kairos family, as we move into this new chapter, as we continue to value community and invite one another to lean in and to love in these big ways. I hate to break it to you, but probably at some point, I'm gonna mess something up. Like maybe even today, we'll see. And then come and tell me, let's talk about these things. When we don't agree on something, let's talk about this. Let's lean into that. And let's continue to reach out to one another, to love one, in way, love one another the way that Jesus has modeled for us to love, to listen to one another the way Jesus has modeled for us to listen, to extend grace and mercy to those who are different, to be honest about the moments we feel disappointed. And here, our community will be stronger, not because we look alike, or act alike, or vote alike, but because we love alike. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Holy God, indeed we give you thanks. God, for being present in this place and for gathering it together, a community. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to be present, that you would give us the boldness and the humility to lean in and to love the way you've called us to love, that we would know you better because of our time together. Be with us, dear God. In your holy name we pray. Amen.